Welcome back, Hustlers, to the 5AM Hustle podcast. Today, we have Scott Totten with us. He's a health teacher, author, podcaster, speaker, CrossFit instructor, and the occasional poet. He was the recipient of the 2019 National Health Teacher of the Year Award. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Namesh. Thanks, Jack. Mm-hmm, of course. You did your research there. You had a nice little uh, intro paragraph for me. Of yeah. course, of course. You have so- to. <laughs> so the first thing we wanted to get into, because obviously you're a health teacher, but we want to know what sparked the first inspiration for you to become a teacher. Yeah, so I guess that goes way back to when I was finishing um, high school uh, myself, and I started to work summer camps for kids. I just got into, I was into athletics before that, um, and like the little like babysitting jobs and stuff like that. Um, and then I started to work some day camp stuff at the local park district. And right after I graduated high school and I really enjoyed that, I actually went into college thinking I was gonna get into fitness and do some uh, like business or fitness leadership. Um, and it turned out that now I do both. <laughs> so I'm able, to, I'm able to teach and coach. Um, but I originally kind of got into fitness stuff and in college I liked working with children enough um, that I decided to change. So I changed into PE and health and, and social studies and sociology. So I got all those endorsements to teach and I just landed on uh, a health position, which I'm very fortunate to have landed on at Scullin in Naperville. And that was, that's the first school that I, after student teaching that I started teaching at, and I've been there ever since. So next year will be 20 years. Um, wow. but I think just originally was like working with young people and they're fun. I mean, look, kids laugh at, they laugh at jokes. They like to have a good, you know, they like to be active. Um, you know, so there's that fun piece of fun being selfish. Like I didn't, I realized I didn't really want to sit at a desk. Um, you know, no, no knock on desk jobs, but I just, I wanted to be working with people. And so, yeah, ended up being my passion. Awesome. Um, so why do you think health, especially is such like an important topic for, young people to learn about in school? Well, I think that it's the basis for everything, you know, so if that's, that's pretty, that's a large statement, but, but I think everything can branch off of um, being healthy, being alive, um, just having life. So anything and everything that's interesting or that's th- that a person loves to do that has an interest in, can go off of physical, mental, or social well-being, you know, so that includes academics, that includes stuff like this, like so, like socializing, communication skills, um, that includes tech and development, uh, everything from video games to mental health uh, awareness, you know, so it's just, it's, I know that's grandiose, but health is life, and so everything can branch off of that, um, I think we're finding that during this quarantine time that we're kind of going back to that belief system in a way, you know, mm-hmm. um, if I may, and I, I can't speak for everybody, but I think people are finding that they really are going back to this, the fundamentals of living, you know, they're building some of those, if fortunate, if they've got a good enough home life um, and not everybody has that, but if fortunate, they can, they can build on their family dynamics, you know, spend a little bit more time with a family. They're finding out that their friends really meant a whole lot to them, that they're missing that camaraderie and that time to hang out um and there people are finding things to do to to cope mentally to stress manage to you know be positive about things so that's a long-winded state um answer for you but uh health is it's just all encompassing 
And I love that it changes constantly too. So I need to update things that I'm teaching just to evolve with each and every single year. The stuff I teach in 2020 is way different than 2001 when I began, you know, before you guys were even alive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of uh, the current quarantine that we're in, uh, how have you been able to connect with your students and be able to have uh, that same personal connection and get across the messages that you've wanted to uh, during this difficult time? I think maybe you two are finding that, that it's true. It, it's difficult. Uh, it's not the same. It's, mm-hmm. There's nothing that can take the place of communicating in person. The screens and Zoom and typing things up into Google Classroom or whatever platform people are using for, for lessons, it's, um, it's never going to be the same. So the tough part is trying to connect one-on-one. You know? So I can make like a general assignment um, and then do my best to hit like private comments and, and get back to, to every single student of mine. Um, but it is difficult. I mean, there's no way to dodge that is that it's, it's not that fun for me. Um, but that being said, we're making the most of it, you know? So I think that just to put yourself out there on a screen, even if I'm going to do a, a screencastifier or some type of video for my students, just to see me, you know, see me speak. Um, see that I haven't shaved at all during quarantine. So I just got my quarantine beard going, you know, see that I can make some jokes, you know, even if I don't have anybody actually (laughs) um, in the room at that same time, there's that trust building. So just being as vulnerable as you can within reason to share some of your home life, you know, for instance, like I'm, I'm in my oldest daughter's bedroom because that's the quietest spot in the house. Um, Sharing things like that and being real can build trust, Um, uh, you know, but there's no trick to it. So it's not like I could give a one, there's not one answer for how to build connections through the screen. We're all figuring it out at the same time. Um, but I but I do think being transparent as a teacher to students um, is huge. Just being like, hey, I'm gonna try this out. Um, let me know if it works out and I'll take the feedback and, and run with it. I think students appreciate that too. So yeah, um, that's it. I'm not finding everything is successful, um, but I'm just gonna keep, you know, plugging away. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of in a unique position as a teacher because you get every single student or almost every single student at the school um, at one point or another for just like, I think, what is it, like nine weeks or something? Something like that. Yep. So how you kind of navigate that constant turnover and like constantly meeting more and more kids like every sing every nine weeks it's like all right next class and all that that kind of almost monotony but also not yeah yeah that's a good question Amish um it is nine weeks so I teach a quarter class and I will see every student at my middle school um you know in this area we've got seven big middle schools um and that means for us about 1110 you know a thousand not quite 1100 kids, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. But if by time, by the time they graduate eighth grade, I will see every single student, which has its pros and cons. You know, that means I see every single student, no matter what. Um, it's a, that's, that's hundreds every single year. Um, so that's tough uh, because I want it to be a personalized experience. I don't, you know, I'm finding out that it's sometimes difficult to even remember names if I've only seen them, seen them for a couple of weeks, you know, in sixth grade. Um, and that's not fair to, to students. So you're, you're right. There is that, that turnover that's pretty quick. Um, and as for the monotony piece for teaching, uh, I like to try new activities every quarter anyway. So 
I'll find out that I'm building upon successful lessons that I had. Um, let's say we had an activity that I thought went really well, you know, second quarter. I'm going to try that same thing again, but maybe I see a, a nice offshoot for a great discussion point um, afterwards or, or the students themselves bring up something I'd never heard. So I love that even if the activities or the lessons are very similar, um, the experiences change day to day and week to week because the kids are different. The students are different. Um, the ideas and opinions are, are different. So yeah, that's what I love about health class. So you're right. There is that, uh, let's say I have three eighth grade classes in a quarter. That's 12 times I'm teaching basically the same curriculum in one school year. Um, but that means I get to refine things. You know, that's why I, it works where I can really find the stuff that uh, I love and the students love. Yeah. Awesome. So health and all that really encompasses it could have a lot of tough discussions uh, that involve it. How are you able to approach those and get the students to either open up or go into deeper discussion that they may normally not be comfortable with on a surface level? Yeah, you're right. We do have some tough, I get all the difficult, I always joke with the students, I get all the tough stuff, the things that nobody else wants to teach, <laughs> or maybe they don't know how to teach the right mm -hmm. way. Um, and that's not, uh, that's no, no offense to any other content area. It's just, it takes some training. You know, how do you take on things like suicide prevention, depression, um, social intolerance and discrimination, uh, drug use, sexuality, these are not easy topics to teach. Um, so I think, again, that transparency piece with students is huge. And the trust building that happens early, like day one, I'm not jumping into a lesson about human growth and reproduction necessarily. You know, I need some time to build the relationships there so that um, students feel comfortable enough. But um, once we get into it, and let's say I have a student in sixth grade or seventh grade, they kind of get to know the style of the classroom and they know that that is a place that they can have honest conversations um, and they're not judged. Um, or, you know, sometimes they're vulnerable and they put themselves out there too. Or it's just in their reflections and journaling that uh, I, I want to be that understanding teacher, even through the difficult stuff. Now, students need information. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't help anybody to hide things. So if we are all dealing with topics, if we ignore those topics, they don't go away. So mm -hmm. I can't just not teach about difficult subject matter. Um, I'm going to take on... The, the common drug use, the patterns that are happening in Naperville, you know, and I'm going to give the information as best as I possibly can. So as you know, when students know that, I think they really appreciate it, but we're going to get some giggles through some things, especially when we talk about sexual wellness and that's just part of the deal. So I don't mind that stuff because students really, they, they realize you're here um, or I'm here to help them, you know, I'm on their side. So. There's that, that cliche saying that students don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. So, but mm -hmm. it's true. It's very true. Yeah. So, so you mentioned uh, journaling. Do you have your students uh, keep like a reflection journal uh, during the school year? I have before. I've done some, some things where we keep a binder or a, a journal in the classroom. But now recently, um, especially since we're getting on Chromebooks more on the internet, I find out that I'm just keeping those on Google Docs instead. So it isn't as much as I can get like pen or pencil to paper. I like that because there's that part, that process of writing that uh, is actually healthy instead of just typing. But uh, we journal and it looks kind of different from unit to unit. So yeah, I just want to get students interested in reflecting. 
you know, some mm -hmm. kids hate to, they just absolutely hate to write because maybe you don't have the right topic. I think people will definitely give their opinion on things if they're interested. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But do we do, we do some journaling probably could do some more. Yeah. Have you seen any uh, benefit or something that the students have gotten out of that uh, that you think they could use in their future? Yeah, I do. We do a goal setting assignment. We do some self-management um, where we're checking off what, where we're spending our time during the day. And I noticed that students have their eyes open to what they're actually doing in life. Um, and then it matters, you know, and that they can build their own future. Um, you're, you're, we're constantly creating our future instead of finding the meaning of life. We're just creating it. So I, I noticed that students, once they have the opportunity to journal and look at where they're spending their time a day, um, that's, that a lot of them take that and they're like, I think I'm going to continue it. Even if it's if it looks different or it's in your head instead of on paper every day. Yeah, I do think that some kids are benefiting from that. Um, and let's say I have a big class of 36 students. I might not reach every single one where they want to start a diary <laughs> and keep that going. It doesn't bother, like, that's no problem for me. We want to find out what works for you. There's no one way of living. Yeah, there's a saying that kind of goes with that. Um, people resist what they're told, but never doubt what they conclude. And I think that kind of fits into that idea where it's like, if you just hand them all these resources and you're like, okay, try this. And then, okay, that didn't work. Okay, now try this. And eventually, if they really try it out, they'll find something that works. I think that, I think that's true for any like younger person. Um, so I was wondering, I think something that every teacher that was teaching during this time during 9-11, um, really like when that happened in the classroom, I think a lot of teachers still remember that if they were teaching during that time. And you obviously like have to deal with tougher topics on a daily basis. So how did you deal with that day and just like the classroom in general, what happened? It's an That's uh, funny you bring that up. That was the first year that I was teaching and the first month of me teaching. I was in front of um, a seventh grade class when I found out that there was some stuff going on and it seemed like at first, it, you know, people thought it was just an accident. How could, a, how could a plane have hit that and, and then it had been on, on purpose and then people started to realize, well, they don't just run into buildings like that on purpose. And so once the second plane hit, um, that day was shot um, and rightfully so, you know, so all lessons, they kind of continued uh, the next day actually was more difficult because at that point we had seen everything on the replays on television. And, uh, the emotions were high with students having families involved. You know, parents were part of airline crews. I remember some of that. So, and th there was even some buildings evacuated downtown Chicago. So be, uh, amidst all that mayhem, you know, you drop the focus again, comes down to life and health. Um, so you might drop the focus, the specific lesson that was happening that day um, or instead I remember that it, it helped and it benefited just to kind of move on and, and talk about something different um, so anyway I don't know I'm rambling on those thoughts but you're right that was a major event uh, I was kind of floored and students were looking at me like what do we do and and here I am a first teacher and I was like I don't I don't know I'm, I'm asking you too like what do we do I, this is you know so I was um, I was right alongside everybody with the unknown um, and that's kind of the, it's similar right now. We've got COVID-19 happening. We've got the big pandemic and we have this big unknown, like what's the future going to look like? Uh, is it going to be safe or not? Um, so there's some parallels to it. Um, 
And I think that we get a little bit more clarity potentially after the fact, you know, looking back on it. But anyway, those are my, some of my memories of that, that day. We didn't have um, phones like we have smartphones now. So you can imagine if something was going on, everybody would have been just texting family back and forth. So mm-hmm. we didn't really have that where every single student had their own um, cell phone. Uh, I guess maybe, maybe yeah, potentially that was kind of a better scenario. I, I don't know. Anything global that occurs, I really hope nothing else happens like that because it's scary times. Um, but it's usable. So, you know, so in lessons afterwards, it's possible to re- to reference that, but it is it delicate and stuff to do. It's like anything with social studies class. How do you reference difficult things that humans have done to other humans throughout history? But, you know, if you do it right, there's absolutely great lessons to learn. Awesome. And actually going into the topic of technology that like you're talking about smartphones, um, smartphones can be seen as a tool or something that's like very unproductive and very unhealthy for teens. Uh, how do you think we can, as, as especially as an educator, use that as a tool and, and teach them how to navigate it in a more productive way than a lot of teens and a lot of even adults do right now? Yeah, sure. It's something that we can fight. You know, teachers and anybody can fight the fact that uh, phones are a reality or you can work with it. Um, <clears throat> we Sometimes I see that people get so angry that a student has a phone. Like, well, so do you <laughs> we like we we have phones we get distracted because that's what they're built to do apps are built off of human behavior to get us drawn in and just keep scrolling so you can fight the trends or you can work with them um, but my side of things is how do you balance your phone how do you balance your downtime it's a healthy thing to have down you know are you gaming on your phone fine are you gaming online or on the computer do you know if it's bigger than phones totally fine. But how much time is that? Is that taking away from your other parts of life that probably matter to you um, a lot? So in the classroom, I don't tend to use the phones simply because we have a Chrome, we have a laptop available and we can do a lot on that laptop, but we're going to use the, we're going to use phones or, or computers to benefit us. If we have something that comes up and nobody knows the answer, let's check it out. Let's Google search. Uh, the problem is trusting everything. So how do you find valid resources? You know, whether it's your phone or the internet, I want to teach students that not everything you see can be, is trustworthy. You know, um, what's the difference between like a .org versus a .com? Do you understand how to read through a full website instead of just the title? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you just take the first hit from Wikipedia and trust what it's telling you? Um, so there's a health skill that's one of our national standards called accessing valid and reliable information and resources, which is a bunch of speech that just means, are you able to know where to go for, uh, for information? And are you able to take that information and apply it to your own life correctly? Um, Google is just spit, spitting back the top hit. It doesn't have every single co- piece of content online. It's just getting you the top information. Um, so that's like a simple starting point. But back to the, the issue with phones, I'm, I'm not going to fight it. If something goes, goes wrong um, in the classroom, okay, we'll deal with it then. Like, is, is, if the phone, is there a phone call that's actually happening? Is it an emergency? Okay, fine. Like, I'm mm-hmm. very realistic with, with our technology. Um, just how, how do you teach a young person to balance that? Um, it's not easy. There's probably not one way that works for everybody either. One big le- lesson I think I usually um, pass on to 
seventh graders, especially in eighth graders, as they're starting to get that phone, is if you find yourself awake and you're looking at that, that bright light into your late at night, past 11, past 12 midnight, into the next day, you're messing up your sleep schedule and teaching your brain that it's daytime. And that's, so that's something that we know from research can mess up learning, can mess up athleticism, can mess up your music, your musicianship. Um, so, I mean, I'll just make a, a quick plug. If that's something that's really keeping you up, don't have the phone in your room. Can you keep it in a different room overnight? You know, so mm-hmm. a lot of my teenagers I teach are like, there's no way I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need my phone for my alarm. I'm like, well, maybe that's potentially true, but just it's something to consider is if it's truly starting to become an addiction. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe get that out of the reach of your, mm-hmm. or even, or even just keeping it like away from the bed on, on a nightstand that's more far away so that when you're charging, you can't have access to it all the time. You but go. you were talking about uh, time manager management earlier. And obviously you're a very busy guy. You're, you're a coach uh, and you're obviously a teacher and have many other things going on. How do you set up your day so that you're most effective and that you can manage your time well without um, of having free time and having the ability to do the things that you want as well. During the school year, when we're actually in session, it's a little easy for me because it's regimented where I know I'm going to teach Monday through Friday. And so that school day, I'll also make sure that I'm trying to schedule some things with a caveat that I'm going to be flexible if need be. So if something comes up, I'm always going to drop things and just be, be able to kind of go on the fly, you know, but I do have certain um, plan periods and I know what I'm going to try and work on during those plan periods or make sure I try and grade. I like to try and get my grading done at school and not bring home a lot of schoolwork since I go and I coach at my gym a lot of nights of the week or I'm going to do some writing, you know, so I've been doing a lot more writing and, and some publishing. Um, so I'm trying to keep my school work at school. That always helps me. And I'm going to try and give myself some writing time at night. That always helps. But sometimes inspiration hits at a strange time. So I don't always want to hold myself to like, hey, I've got an hour and I need to be writing or whatever, you know, here's my workout. Um, If it needs to change, then I'll change it. So it's kind of like two, you know, there's two parts to that answer. Yes, I have a a schedule. I know what I'm working on kind of each day of the week. Um, But if something, if something happens, I don't need to beat myself up about it. It's okay to, you know, take a break and, or maybe I'm not finding motivation to write. So that's totally fine too. And then in the quarantine time lately, that's been a lot more difficult because I'm teaching through the screen to, to students obviously, but then also I have four kids of my own mm-hmm. and that's been a challenge to figure out how to, especially for my younger two, it's basically like a weekend day every single day. So it's hard to work. And like every parent out there is, is, not, is noticing it, it doesn't work very well to work from home and be a parent. So you can't teach your own kids and then teach your students. And it's, it's very difficult. Right. Um, so I know you've done some public speaking in general, um, but you also just have to like speak in your classroom or like on speak to parents on curriculum night or whatever. So like, how do you have, um, do you have any tips for uh, public speaking for a beginner and like how have you improved your public speaking since the start? Yeah, I do like doing that. I, I have been speaking more and more and presenting to other teachers. I travel now to speak. Um, and then I talk all day while teaching. Uh, yeah, I don't think that there's going to be 
there's a lot of tips out there that will work for a new newcomer to it, but I don't think that it's, it's like everything I've already said here during our, our talk. There's not one way that's the right way um, for you, but things that I have found success with is uh, being natural and just being yourself, um, not trying to become this entity that isn't your own persona. This is actually the hardest stuff to do podcast because you're like, you're working on the fly. This is a lot more real. You know, this, this takes, there's going to be a lot more ums and ahs and think time. Um, you know, people tend to ramble a little bit more like I have been doing where you just kind of coming back to your own original thought. Um, the public speaking part is a little bit more rehearsed. So I find that that's not it, podcasting actually is, it's a little bit more difficult, <laughs> but teaching is the same way, you know, is just kind of be yourself. Um, speak with some confidence that, that you, you know what you're talking about. And then if you don't know, be honest with it and say, I, I don't know the answer right now. So that stuff in public speaking really comes across um, realizing that who you're talking to is on your level. You know, I have actually spoken to some people I really admire. I have looked up to and they're sitting there in the audience, you know, and the nerves are going, you got butterflies going because these people are like published authors. They've written books that I really, really uh, love. Um, they've done work in teaching that I, I, I can't, that I can't believe that I'm, you know, basically speaking to these people. Um, but in the end, I think some meditative, some mindfulness uh, approach uh, practices help in those first moments before getting on to, you know, whatever stage you have. Um, that includes breathing. That's kind of silly to say, but just taking control of your breathing and trying to calm yourself down and realize that I'm just talking to some people, all of this best of a conversation as I can. Um, and having a smile goes a long way. I found out that uh, I've been doing that a lot more with teaching is uh, if you ever find yourself nervous, just give yourself a confidence boost, sit up straight or stand up tall, take a breath and give a, a good smile. Mm hmm Awesome. So we're just kind of curious, uh, both me and Amish, uh, were talking kind of before the interview and we were wondering, is there anything that is like a major paradigm shift or something that you've really learned that, um, or a perspective shift rather, um, that you've had, um, from educating other students and being a teacher for so many years now? I'm not sure if there's a paradigm shift, but I have found out that I learn more as I teach. And plenty of people have said that before, but if you really want to learn something, if you really want to educate yourself on any given topic, teach that topic. Um, so I'm finding that I'm learning much more. Um, and I look back at my, myself as like an early teacher and I realize how much I didn't know. Uh, and I think that's powerful. I think it's very useful to realize in the moment that there's so much still to learn in life. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's like, you know, what you were referencing, like a true paradigm shift, but it's definitely something I'm taking away that, uh, that I love. I'm learning from my, and students don't even know it necessarily all the time, but I'm really cherishing that time with the kids and what they're teaching me about the world. In a lot of ways, young people are already running this world. <laughs> I know they're like, well, we're the future, you know, and that's kind of the this, this website I run and our podcast is called that too, is we're always looking to the future and we, I call it life is the future, you know, no matter what happens or what changes, 
we're constantly trying to improve life in the future. Um, but I just, I love it. I love learning from the students. Awesome. Cool. Um, so now shifting gears a little bit to um, the book you wrote. Uh, why'd you decide to write a book and like where'd the idea kind of come from? Yeah, so last year I was uh, fortunate to be a published author. Um, the book came out in the summer. It's a puberty book written for younger boys in particular from ages nine or 10 up until about 14. It's called Growing Up Great. And uh, a company, a publishing company reached out to me after I'd, they'd seen some stuff that I'd written. Um, my name was passed on. You know, I've been publishing through professional journals and blogging. And they said, would you do a writing sample for us? We have a successful book that's been out for girls. You know, if we split into like binary gender, there's plenty of puberty books that have been out there for, for girls. There's not that much that's out specifically geared towards boys. So I did, anyway, long story short, I did the writing sample and they asked it to be a pretty rush job. So I wrote that book in about six weeks with a bunch of deadlines. Um, and that was, um, and uh, while coaching and while teaching. Um, and it, it's, I, I liked having the deadlines that kind of pushed me in, um, to, to get work done. And I had a lot of guidance. I had an editor and an outline. And uh, I was fortunate, just really feel blessed that that came out um, last summer. And I am working on, well, there's going to be another version coming out this summer as well. So it's going to be kind of a prequel to that. Um, but there is a need for, honest books towards young people about growing up and it's got all this <laughs> it's got everything in there you could think of too it's like is this really a book about um growth reproduction growing up sexuality i mean it it is it's all in there once you <laughs> once you open it up but you know young people just they need the, the truth um and sometimes parents don't know mm -hmm. how to bridge some of these topics so uh it's written towards the actual young person and i'll have one coming out this summer it's going to be we're still working on the. i'll probably get the title like the day after I talk to you here, uh, it's going to be something like, like starting off smart, I think something like that. Um, but it'll be another puberty book for boys. And then I'm going to do some stuff for all uh, genders. Um, hopefully soon. That's the goal. So anyway, that's kind of the, the story of it is um, I was just in the right place at the right time and it's worked out. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's on, it, I mean, it's a real thing. People are like, is it a real book? I'm like, yeah, you could go into Barnes and Noble and you can go find it. <laughs> you just have to look in the right section. Um, you know, it's a, it was a, an Amazon bestseller for young people for a while. So uh, again, I just, this ride has been awesome in life. Yeah. And I'm just very fortunate to, I'm going to keep writing. So look for that one to come out this, this summer as well. The That's awesome. One. So how'd you get, um, cause you, you talked about the six week deadline was it, did you find it difficult to get in that creative mindset to get writing and just crank out um, a lot of pages and chapters of the book? Yes and no. It's to start, it was, it was difficult, but once I got myself in that mindset and I thought, what would the younger version of me want or what did I need as answers and content and information? Um, it wasn't as difficult as some might think. I mean, at this point I am, Oh, I mean, I mean, decades older than that reader. Um, but I think I took it on with some humor and uh, in the right places. So the mindset, yeah, to start, you know, you kind of have to get the words to flow and I have to figure out who I'm writing to. So it's different to write towards adults than it is to write towards a, you know, a 10 or 12 year old. Um, mm -hmm. So it took a little bit of work. Yep. Yeah. So did you ever have um, 
whether it's just writing in general doesn't have to be about the book. How do you deal with uh, writer's block? A couple of ways. I just actually thought about this this past week because during quarantine, I found myself taking a break um, and I was beating myself up about it. I was like, I'm not finding the inspiration. This is, there's too many things going on worldwide. Uh, I don't, I don't feel like writing about anything else right now. Um, so there's kind of two ways that I take that on. And one is to just go with the flow and take the break. Even if it's an extended break, even if it's a days, days off um, or weeks off, uh, it, with deadlines, that's more difficult. But so the writer's block, you can either, you can either just go with the flow and take that break. And then when inspiration hits, you go for it. Or you can just start writing anyway. And you just sit down and you're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, you kind of write through it. It's almost like you ever watch basketball. It's like, mm-hmm. if somebody is having problems, if somebody's not hitting, finding the, the, the basket and they're just all over the place. You know, you can either stop shooting for that game or you just shoot through it. You just play through it. Um, so if you can get that first sentence going, maybe I sit down and I'm like, I just need a paragraph. Mm-hmm. And then once the words start to flow, you might get your brain going off in different tangents. So there's a couple ways that you can go at that stuff, but everybody's got it. So, you know, it's a real thing when people are like, ah, writer's block, you know, I don't get it ever. Oh, you just got to give it some time. It does yeah. definitely happen. Um, but for me, I don't want to talk for everybody else, but for me, I can either start to write and write through it or allow myself a little bit of um, grace and then just take that, that time off. Mm-hmm. Uh, for so, I mean, for some people, writing is like obviously some sort of a hobby. Do you find that some sort of therapy or is it still work to you? No, absolutely. It is absolutely therapy. Um, I, I was writing before I was even teaching. So I started doing little poetry pieces and just keeping them to myself way back in high school, maybe even before. Um, and I wouldn't really tell everybody because it, it, it's funny for like, you know, I grew up in playing sports in high school, so mm-hmm. it, it'd be funny. For, and I eventually was like this six, three, you know, tall, you know, 200 pound guy. Like, it's funny to be like, yeah, I also write poetry. <laughs> People judge a little bit on mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But, I, but that part of me, uh, has helped me to be a published author. So all of the metaphors and the, the analogies and the short pieces that I do, that has helped me to frame some things in a great way that, that I can publish, you know, author an actual book, um, multiple books at this point. So I don't know. I can't remember what the original question was, but the poetry stuff, uh, it it does help my brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So we, we also saw that you have a podcast. I mean, it seems like you're doing everything. It's crazy. You got to do everything, right? The opportunity Mm -hmm. comes to it. Exactly. The opportunity (laughs) comes. So, uh, you said you talked about the life is the future and that's kind of a theme of the podcast and a lot of your brand. Uh, what is your kind of goal uh, with the podcast that you're creating? Yeah. So we started a YouTube channel from the class a couple of years ago and I was just throwing out lessons on YouTube. Um, and obviously you got to get the, the students that are on there are cleared to go, you know, you have to get consent and stuff like that. Then we talk about internet safety, you know, maybe we use first names only. We, we try not to do anything that's, um, it's going to identify you to the public in a way that you don't want, especially as a young person. But we started to do that stuff on YouTube and I was doing interviews with students just about how classes were going. And I found that that was successful. Students like to see themselves. They like to listen to themselves. Parents were watching. Other educators were tuning in. And so that was either three years ago or four years ago. Um, and the YouTube channel is um, doing well. And I decided, well, we're going to also have this other place for students to have a voice. Let's go, let's go with 
this new way of radio, which is the podcast world. So I opened that up to, I, when, when was that? I guess this is season two, I'm calling it. So this is the second school year. <laughs> I, um, I reached out to two students that I thought could talk. I needed students to be the host. It, I didn't want it. I mean, and I've talked like this whole hour. You guys are making me talk more than I'm used to talking. But, <laughs> and I talk for a living, you know, but I wanted the students to have this place where they could speak as eighth graders. And I wanted the eighth graders to lead as hosts. So I reached out to two young, young gentlemen, um, Luke and Tadiwa, and they did an amazing job uh, interviewing their peers. So they would bring in two or three of their classmates. They'd come up with a topic and I'd kind of be in the background. So I'd be in the back channel helping them out with, you know, topics or conversation questions. But really it was the students and they, they own that. And then I would put my little teacher piece at the beginning and the end. Um, and it was absolutely a success. Uh, it's got a, a lot of great listeners out there across the country, across the world. And we started, it was so much of a success that I needed to add hosts this school year. So I added, so I had two sets of two hosts uh, per week. So they kind of went back and forth and they were just cut short because of the court, because of the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. But we've been lately, we've been remotely recording like this and I let them take the lead and um, just kind of talk about how they're coping through the, quarantine time. Um, and then any other thoughts, any other thing else that they had brought up, but we, we'd had the range of topics that aren't just health class topics. It's just talking about life in general. Uh, we've had everything from social health to mental health to drug use to music, athletics, technology, um, dress codes, you know, uh, gender stereotypes. Uh, I mean, so race, um, anyway, but that, that, Again, that's kind of a long answer. I loved it because students deserve a place to talk. Um, so that's, yeah, that's our podcast, Life is the Future. And over the summer months, I've been doing some, I didn't want to leave it stagnant. So I was doing some interviews with adults um, because I thought I'm just going to use the, I already have this platform. So I was interviewing like you are right now. To me, I was interviewing other experts in whatever field that they were in, just things that are um, that are positive. That's kind of the whole thing I was looking at. So I, I interviewed other health teachers throughout the summer, some people that work specifically in sex education, some people that specifically work with um, social groups, social workers, psychologists, what I have in there, um, a music teacher, a brand, a clothing brand, you know, whatever. So the point being, if you have a chance and you have an opportunity then why leave it? I just thought if it doesn't work out, then who cares? Then the podcast mm -hmm. didn't work out. You yeah. Drop it. You try something else. Exactly. Um, I mean, I think that is almost what you live by because I, as when you see all the things, different things you do, it, it's very clear that you take every opportunity um, that has been given to you. And I think that's very important for anyone listening to understand that you're not going to be given, you don't know when the opportunity will come. And sometimes you have to take it with a little bit of blind faith and see how it goes. And it's okay if one thing goes wrong because you'll have more to come in the future. So well said. Yeah. So going into another realm of your life, uh, you talked about how you got into CrossFit uh, when you were, when you were kind of younger and in college, where did you start coaching and instructing directly after that when you started teaching or did that happen later on? Yeah. So I'd always kind of been into athletics and um, CrossFit didn't come around until my adulthood. Uh, the concept isn't necessarily new. It's just kind of, been put into a brand name at this point and it came into it fell into my lap again like one of those opportunities where i was working out i was looking for something different maybe potentially i could use it for my own students with track 
in cross country. Um, I was looking for different workouts, you know, and I happened upon this concept of CrossFit and I, do I dove in, in my own personal fitness and I loved it so much that I decided to get certified um, in an additional certification to, to instruct it, to teach it. But I never really meant for that to, to be uh, something I pursued. I thought maybe part-time somebody will hire me. I can work a couple hours in a gym. Well, anyway, the opportunity fell into my lap where I was able to um, partner up with my co-owner and we opened in 2010 in April. So we just hit our 10 year. We've been open as CrossFit Amplify in Lyle uh, for 10 years and we grew it just nice and organically from the ground up. So super DIY. Um, I was training some people out of my garage to start and then we did some park workouts and we've been able and fortunate to move into a larger facility and we've been there <clears throat> since 2012. Um, and we were thriving until the quarantine kind of knocked us out. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to see what happens with small businesses. Um, but we've been trying to, remotely um offer workouts it's just not the same as being there in person yes. um right yeah so it's just another part of my life uh that i love i'm just i have all these different pieces that make me who i am you know whether it's athletics whether it's teaching whether it's writing uh, what you know whatever it is parenting all of that stuff um so that's just one other interest i have it's kind of my second full-time job <laughs> yeah and i think it's uh what you're talking about and speaking to is such an interesting business model because I actually know the owners of uh, my, the tennis club that I go to mm -hmm. and what they started as just a summer camp. Like you said, you were teaching people in your garage and parks and open public space. And they, once they got enough capital and whatnot, they opened their own facility and a lot of people when they're starting a business or they're starting a podcast, a lot of them think they have to have everything figured out or they have to have all this like startups and seed money that they have to get in reality. All you need is an idea and the will to get it going and really get started. Yeah, Jack, totally true. Totally true. You, you don't need to be the best when you start. You just need to start. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I started recording podcasts before I had the website up because I knew that like, as long as I keep getting people interviewed, then, I, then I'll have the content and at least I'll have it. I didn't have to make an exact science. I said, oh, I'm going to come up with some questions and have a conversation and hopefully it goes well. And then I had you my first You guys are doing interview. great. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you guys are doing great. I like what you're doing. Thank you. appreciate Good it. Good interview questions. <laughs> um, so kind of going like, deeper into um what crossfit has done for you like what do you think are some lessons that just like um sports or working out in general can like apply to writing or being a teacher or even being a parent yeah there is the the part to working out but there's a, a few parts that come to mind immediately there the, the first part is that mental toughness um and we're not talking about being hard-headed and working through anything yeah, that's a struggle. Um, but just being resilient in a way that, you know, you, you start to have self-doubt, whether it's the middle of a workout or the middle of a project for school or teach or starting a lesson or whatever it is, um, writing a song even, because I, I worked a little bit with writing song, like that's difficult stuff. So you can either, you can stay tough through that time or you can let it kind of defeat you and working out, especially the way that CrossFit workouts tend to, to go, they've, they've helped my mental health just as much as maybe even more than physical health. And then there's the other part that's the social dynamic that is amazing for adults in particular. I'm, I have more, I have some students, I have some past students that actually come to as members of my gym. I have some high schoolers from the area close to us is Naperville North or Naperville Central, Lyle High School, you know, there's some, some downers uh, high schools. Um, 
but uh, for adults in particular, it hits this camaraderie piece from previous team sports, especially where you're coming in and you're getting into that mindset with other people and you're kind of suffering through the workouts together at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah. It helps that work ethic. Um, yeah. It helps you if you're, if you're there struggling and having a, um, a workout with friends at the same time, there's, there's that social development too. It's not a place that people put ear pods in and, or ear, what they called? I always dad that one up. AirPods. Po- Air AirPods. Yeah. yeah. AirPods. <laughs> I get my own kids make fun of me so much. <laughs> ear pads. <laughs> I whatever, you ear- say, whatever you say is probably a thing. So I think you're good. <laughs> I called them air buds one time. That's like this old movie with a dog. Yeah. <laughs> air bu- well, anyway, it's, the, it's not our place isn't a place. It's not a place you put headphones on and you go and you go do a workout by yourself. Um, so there's a huge social element. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. I recently recorded an episode. Um, it's not out yet, but it's on instant versus delayed gratification. I think there is this delayed gratification component that comes into working out, right? Like you do a workout and then, yeah, sure. You like, you feel great for like a couple minutes or maybe like an hour or two, but then the next day you're like, oh shoot, like I look the exact same. And then you're like, <laughs> but you have to kind of trust in the process that, yeah, um, maybe you don't look, but you look the exact same right now, but give it a couple weeks, months, years, and right. eventually. And it's not even all about looks, you know, it's not all about aesthetics. It's, it's about heart health and right. Um, it's about other things. Longevity besides just, we get into working out means you kind of maintain body fat versus muscle. It's, the, it's not just that it's, it's also going to benefit you in a lot of other ways, but I hear you. There is a working out is kind of, um, humans are interesting like that because a lot of animals are just instant gratification, but we are able to see the a future kind of coming back to a theme of, you know, some of our work we're able to see. That's a pretty unique attribute for our developed brains. Um, but yeah, Namish, you're right, man. It, it might not feel great in the moment <laughs> and all you want to do is quit, you know, <laughs> but yeah, future you is going to benefit. And I think uh, whether it's working out or sports, when you do something difficult over and over again for a long period of time, you get that certain, whether it's edge or like mental toughness that you were talking about that people who like don't necessarily work out when they're younger or don't go through sports that when they're older, they don't necessarily have that. Like they don't have losses. For example, like if you're an athlete and you have a really bad loss, you don't know how to deal with that or like how to be like, okay, let's reevaluate, reevaluate, look at the film, see what we can do better. People don't have that self inward reflection or they don't have the ability to, like I said, take a loss or go through something difficult um, and be tired and push through that. And I think it's, it teaches you a lot of lessons that you don't even realize till you're a lot older. Yeah. Um, so here, just kind of wrapping up the interview, um, two questions that we ask every interview that comes on. So the first one is two books that um, have kind of impacted you in a really positive way. Two books? Two to three books, however many. However many you want to bring, we'll we'll take them. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh man, I've I've got a bunch for you if you guys really care. Let's um, do it. But there, we've I've been reading a lot of so a lot of stuff I read ends up being classified self help as self help. Mm-hmm. But really, what it is is kind of just more motivation and and healthy living. Um. Right now, I'm reading The Power of Moments by the Heath Brothers. Uh, it's been pretty good so far. I just finished The Joy of Movement by what's her first name their sisters McGonagall is their last name um Jane is one of them she wrote super better that's a pretty solid book too 
improving your life. Uh, but the joy of movement is by, I forget her first name. I feel really bad, but anyway, that one was about the benefits of physical um, movement, obviously, and exercise. What else? Some of my favorites lately, dream teams uh, was pretty good. Um, hold on. I got some more for you. Uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. He's yep. probably one of my favorite authors of the last few years. That guy puts out an amazing newsletter. Everybody should sign up for every single week. I mean, talk about churning out content, super motivates, just small things that can change your life in big ways. Um, Atomic Habits, one of my favorites from the last few years. Um, I'm missing a couple of great ones. Oh, Sapiens and Homo Deus by uh, Yuval Harari, which is an incredible look at our human history, our past. And then also he's kind of a bit of a futurologist. He's looking ahead to the future. He also has a new one out, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. There's a whole bunch for you that I've enjoyed. I could keep going if you want me to just pull up uh, what you're sure. Audible, but that's that's a pretty solid list. <laughs> okay, awesome. And then uh, the final question that we have for you is: if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? One piece of advice. I suppose I'm going with be yourself. You don't have to be anybody different. Um, is that and the and these people that are pushing you in middle school, not just mentally and socially, but literally physical, uh, you know, issues in middle school and high school. All of this bullying garbage that happens. Just be yourself because none of that's going to matter. Um, you know, uh, this the the stuff that I saw my the the younger me. Uh, had gone through a lot. And there's some people right now that are uh, going through so much in their own lives and doubting them, you know, self-doubt creeps in a ton. But uh, just to to be you because nobody ever has been you. So just that that simple piece of advice is, is you find yourself having negativity. Uh, you're going to push through it and you are going to be okay. So I know that's a little bit corny, but be yourself. It's going to work awesome. out. Awesome. That's incredible. So thank you, Scott, for joining us uh, on this podcast episode. Uh, make sure to check out his work at lifeisthefuture.com. And all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us and make sure to tune in the next episode of the 5am hustle. Thanks guys. Pleasure. See you.